Oh, yes, all aboard. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. This is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, where we bring you everything from high school sports, NCAA, NFL, NBA, HBCU. It's the train that is building up ahead of steam. So grab your tickets, get on board, enjoy the ride. Let this train take you on a sports journey. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Let's get this train on the track. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. That's right. Hope you have your tickets. Hope you are seated and ready to enjoy the ride on a special Friday afternoon edition the A-Train Sports Talk podcast and today we will be having a very special guest a man that has introduced himself on the national airwaves formerly of CBS Sports and now you hear him on Bell and the Birdman out of Philadelphia his podcast Yes, he's a Philadelphia Eagles fan. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of laughable. I'm going to give him a hard time about that. But we've become good friends. I happen to have tuned in to his last broadcast on CBS Sports Radio. And what connected us was the fact he was telling me about his time as a board op at a radio station and some of the things that he would do and automatically i said i can relate to that so i called his show he got me on and i shared my board op and experience and we've been hitting each other up on twitter ever since his uh, name is uh vince quinn formerly of cbs radio and now you can hear him on the podcast bell and the bird man and he is a very knowledge knowledgeable person especially when it comes to NFL. So looking forward to his call when it comes in. Uh, There was some NFL action last night, Thursday night football, as the Rams and the Seahawks hooked up. And... Let's just say the first half that game was a, I'm going to just use Oklahoma people term. That 
game was a slobber knocker in that first half. I mean, it was basically a defensive battle. The score was 7-3 to three at the halftime. But then, all of a sudden, Seattle's defense, well, they couldn't really hold water, and they made Matt Stafford pretty much even with a banged-up finger. And last night was also a bad night for fingers for quarterbacks. Did anyone by chance happen to see Russell Wilson's finger get knocked out of socket or out of joint or whatever the case may be and it was to the point to where there was a Geno Smith sighting and let me just as we're getting this show on the road I believe we have my caller by the name of Vince Quinn Vince are you on the line there yes I am Anthony what's up man I am so elated to have you I was just getting things started was kind of hitting a little bit at the game last night how it was a bad night for fingers but ladies and gentlemen those of you who will be tuning into this podcast I want to introduce a friend of mine we haven't met in person but it was the connection that we had as board ops at radio stations that connected us and I happened to tune in to the last broadcast of his radio show, which was on CBS Sports Radio. Now you can hear him on Bird, Bell, and the Birdman podcast. And those guys be going at it like the odd couple. Ladies and, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, my newest good friend in sports, Vince Quinn. <laughs> Thank you for the introduction there. I love it, man. Man, I'm so glad to have you on. Been looking to this day, been looking forward to this day. And I've been telling people this podcast is the one that everybody's going to want to listen to because I have a very knowledgeable person on. And y'all need to tune in and listen to him. Vince, how you doing, man? How's it going out there in Philly? Hey, uh, well, I'm doing good. Everything sports wise in Philly is a mess. Right, because you're dealing with uh, Ben Simmons trying to get traded, and that's a disaster. The Eagles are losing games. They're one and three. People are wondering if the coach is going to get fired after the first year. So, uh, the, oh, the Phillies missed the playoffs again, so they have a 10-year playoff drought. Everything's peachy. Everything's peachy. I love your guarded optimism. <laughs> <laughs> you can call it that. And, and you know, the thing, the thing about it is, as I was alluding to it, I was telling people that you are, I guess you are a Philadelphia Eagles fan, or you have to follow them for whatever the case may be. And I said I was going to rib you about that because I'm in Wichita, Kansas. So most people say, okay, you're in Wichita, Kansas, Kansas State Chiefs. No. I'm actually a, a, a fan of the rival team that's sitting at the top of the division at 3-1. and one. Ooh. I know. So this, this might make for a rough podcast, but, you know, we're going to get to it and we're going to have fun with it. We'll, we'll try. We'll try. We'll see how civil I get if we keep talking about the Cowboys. Well, you know, I heard one of your podcasts, and I guess somebody had to rescind. I don't know if you rescinded your comments, but it was titled, The Cowboys Don't Suck. <laughs> yeah, well, once they stomped us out the way they did, we really didn't have much of a choice. You know, the, the episode before that was called Dallas Sucks, and we were like, all right, yeah, I guess we were wrong. Right. But, you know, we're not going to go back and forth on Dallas and Philly, but we are going to talk some NFL. So let me just ask you, let's, let's kind of back up a little bit. I want to go back to your days, and I want you to tell the people your days as a board op, because that's how we got connected, talking about board op in this station. And here where I worked at, they gave you a fancy little title like executive producer or studio engineer, and all we were doing was just basically board opting. So mm-hmm. tell me about some of the things or the shenanigans that board ops did. 
Well, yeah. So I got in as a board op. I started on the street team. So I was running, you know, events at bars and handing out T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. And then after maybe a year and a half or so at WIP, I realized that I could actually get into the, the production side and be on air. And I was like, oh, I could do that? Okay, yeah, let's go. So I, I started working and learning how to be a board op. Sure enough, they put me on. And uh, I screwed up all the time. I mean, that's what I'll tell you. I'm, I made mistakes constantly. I was a terrible board op, and I knew it. Like, I was good on the mic, obviously, as people went to me because I was, I was becoming a host. I was working my way up that way. But, man, uh, playing sound bites when I wasn't supposed to, having the wrong fader up, bringing music back up when I had already brought it down because I forgot to turn off the audio file. Like, I was a disaster, man. Like, I would never hire me as a board op again. I shouldn't do that job. But but it was fun, you know, to, to sit there and be at a major station and work with all these different people and uh, and learn from them as you're sitting there and watching these shows and listening to these shows. It's a great experience. And, like, that's the thing is the job, like, some nights it's exhausting. And you've probably done this, like, if you run some sort of syndicated game and it's a Sunday night and, like, you're just sitting there for four hours. If you're doing that every week, it can get boring. And I would do dumb stuff, which I think you heard this story, Anthony, but like I would sneak in uh, Rick Astley's never going to give you up when I could just because <laughs> So, like outside of dumb stuff like that, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that job, but for what it was, I, I really enjoyed it. I feel like I learned a lot from it. And obviously it, it helped me get where I was going today. Absolutely. And, and like one of the things I would do is like, you know, I would have to endure the wrath of long, drawn-out baseball games. So sometimes oh. the commercial spots would run out before the game would, which also meant the bump music would run out as well, too. And I actually knew how to go, no, go on YouTube, find songs, put them in the music bed. So, okay, like, okay, I got to put these commercials in, make sure they line up with the sponsor, so put the right sponsorship for the commercial for that game in. Also, now I'm going to put this song in. So when they're coming back in, they're hearing something like more bounce through the ounce, <laughs> atomic dog, you know, some old P-Funk music, some parliament. And I know they're probably like, where'd that come from? But one of the most drawn out things I had to do, but hey, I knew it was going to be almost eight hours that day before they had the sound card. And I know you know about sound cards getting this. Mm -hmm. right. Our station carries OU football. Well, until they got the problem rectified, I had a log sheet where, all right, network break. All right, now, local break. So I'm having to play the local break when it's time to go to local breaks and having to keep track of that because if you miss it, you're going to end up getting a local commercial out of the state of Oklahoma that has nothing to do with anything in the state of Kansas. So I had to be alert, <laughs> but they finally got that fixed. And then, you know, I started doing other things, so my board and day is over. But what got me to this podcast is there was a guy that actually had a show on so then I'm starting to be on the air with this guy as a co-host. So podcast is what I do now. And I am so glad once again to have Vince Quinn on my show. So Vince, tell me a little bit. You end up in CBS Sports Radio. How did that come about to be? How long were you there? And I know you enjoyed it. So all you have to ask, what was your enjoyment? <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, the reason I got there, it, it really has to do with John Kincaid. So John Kincaid is a guy that uh, he's a Philly guy. So me growing up in the Philly area, being at WIP, Kincaid had a background at WIP and he would just listen to the station all the time. Like he's a radio obsessive. 
So he was listening back to the station. He heard me. I met him a couple of times as he was in the building and I was working and we just had a good relationship. And for a couple of years, it was maybe between when I first met him and when we actually uh, got to the point where I was with CBS, it was probably like a four year, five year gap. I mean, it was a long stretch of time, but we were always talking. And then it got to a point where I was moving to uh, central New Jersey. And when I was doing that, obviously it, it was enough where, well, not obviously, I mean, you're in Kansas, but for the people who don't know uh, the, the way I was living in central Jersey. So it was easy enough for me to get to Philly and to get to New York. And it was about an hour each way for either city. So not bad. And I reached out to Kincaid and I was like, Hey, do you have anything open at CBS sports radio? And sure enough, the weekend overnight slot was just opening up. So me having my experience in the company already and being in a big market at WIP, it was easy enough for them to get me and bring, and, uh, bring me into the company there. So I started doing shows with CBS Sports Radio, and that was in uh, September of 2019. Did that for about six months, and the pandemic hit. And, and once that happened, I actually lost my show because they decided they were going to make a numbers crunch and basically they can only support as, as much as part-time salaries are all the same. They figured they wanted to make the money work for as many people as they could help people get by. So they kind of cut some of the fat, if you will. And that was me included. And uh, I was off weekend overnights for a couple of months, but then once it got to a point where things were opening up again and things were doing a little bit better and pe just people in general were doing a little bit better. Uh, they brought me back. And I got to do it again for about another year. And so to be able to do that Saturday into Sunday, every single weekend, it, it was awesome, man. I mean, talking about everything and uh, cover, you know, covering all the major sports, they pretty much gave me free reign to do whatever the hell I wanted. So topic selection, I, I, I did everything. It was my show, you know, and, and to have that kind of freedom and do a national show like that. It was awesome. It was awesome. Absolutely. So you're in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia area. But you was talking about going back and forth between, I guess, New Jersey and whatnot. So basically, you've seen the best, worst, and in between of the sports world in that region, which means you've seen the Philly scene. You've probably seen New Jersey, which is bordering pretty much New York. What is the general consensus amongst the fan bases during those times of the season? Like with baseball, we know you said Philadelphia Phillies. We know. Go down to New York, New Jersey. You're looking at Mets, Yankees. I mean, is what is it like? I know it's insanity out there. It has to be. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely insanity. What I'll say is, New York first and foremost is a baseball town. It just is. Uh, Giants, Jets, Knicks. Like the Knicks. Knicks are really big when they're doing well, but. The Yankees are just such a big dominant thing. And the way people understand baseball in New York, it's ridiculous. I mean, I just haven't heard it anywhere else. And for them, it's all those things are like talking about pitch sequencing and the way a guy throws a curveball and all that kind of stuff. Like your average caller knows that stuff pretty well. And it's really impressive. So that's that's a pretty cool thing about New York. It's intense. Because it's the Yankees and they're expected to win every year. So it's like a, a season like this where they just lost to the Red Sox in the wild card. It's an unmitigated disaster for them. So they're tail spinning right now. Like it's a it's a whole thing for for Philly. Baseball is number two. So the, if the Phillies are a really good team, then the city goes nuts. I mean, the city turns red stadium uh, stadium sells out all the time. Like it, it can be a very big Phillies town, but they haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. 
It's been like 13 years since they won the World Series. It's just been a while. Like they're, they're in a bit of a down cycle right now. So they, they don't have as much juice. But the Eagles are just everything in Philly. I mean, people are obsessed with the Eagles that talk about them all the time. Like when I was growing up, uh, my family, we'd go to church every Sunday, right? And half the people in church were wearing Eagles gear. Like, that's just what it was. You know, I have guys in McNabb jerseys sitting in the pew in front of me. And, and then we would go home and, 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 like, we'd leave at 12 o'clock mass. As soon as we could, it would end at, like, you know, 12.55, and we'd race in the car to get home to not miss the start of the Eagles game. So uh, it, it was religion in its own way. I mean, I really, how the, how the Eagles are treated in Philly. Like, was, it's a sacred thing to some people. So it's, uh, it's yeah. very intense. But when you see something like them winning the Super Bowl for the first time ever, the city just exploded in a way that I've never seen before. And, and it was a beautiful thing. So, yeah, you get all these great things, these fun things, these exciting things. And when the team sucks, it's chaos. But uh, it's all fun for me. The, the whole thing's fun. Yeah. I was going to say, when you're talking about all those Eagles fans at church with their Eagles jerseys on, I'm thinking maybe they're thinking of the song because it's a religious experience. Some glad morning I'll fly away. So they got the Eagles, Eagles <laughs> going on with it. And, and Philly fans are definitely passionate about their Eagles to the point, if we can go back some years, I believe Michael Irving was laying on the turf injury. I think it was basically his career-ending injury. And Philly fans are actually cheering about that. Yeah. Now, is that the general consensus amongst all Philly fans or – just those that want their voices heard at that particular time. Well, you know what it is? I think part of it's a generational thing. Like, as things have changed, because, I mean, that, that incident with Urban was, what, like 1995, something like that, right? I believe so. Coming out yeah, so years, since yeah. then, I mean, you just have a whole different uh, generation of people. Like, that that fan base still exists. There's no doubt. I mean, they're, they're definitely a chunk of the fan base, and there are, there are people who are really intense. I mean, I've been to Eagles games and I see times where a guy's loaded. I mean, he's just flat out blackout drunk and you're leaving the stadium and you see a fan that's walking by himself in another team's Jersey. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Cause you, you're like, all right, this guy's trying to start something for really no reason other than he's brain dead. And this guy's wearing a Jersey for another team. And the other guy can sense that, but he's on an Island. And like, luckily in the times that I've been around those situations, nothing's actually escalated to any bad point but uh it's it's been tense at times so there is some of that and some of it's earned there's no doubt but there's a lot of people that are just like really supportive and smart and fun and like th there's a really engaging element of it I, I think the best example of that is really the Sixers fan base so mm -hmm. if you keep a track on what the Sixers have been doing the last couple of years I mean they were tanking they were tanking to get top players to be a championship team and uh, that hasn't quite worked out yet, but that's another story. But but along the way, the way the fans really embraced that and supported these guys, even knowing that they weren't great players, especially early on, and they had a lot of stuff to work on, and there was, like, ridiculous things, and they were getting blown out. The support was great. And there was a point even, so this guy, Mike Scott, who just a bench player, rotational guy, and he's been in Philly for a couple of years. He wasn't drafted there. He'd been around the league. He became a cultural icon in Philly for a little bit because this guy, he was just – he just wanted to be a part of the people. So he literally – this one time, he – Mike, a professional NBA basketball player, decided to meet a security guard, just some guy on Twitter. And he met him at a racetrack in New Jersey, 
and they just they sprinted against each other they ran a 100 meter dash and and it was wild you know and all these people showed up to watch it and it just became this whole thing where there was like a mike scott fan group that existed and and it was a known commodity they went by the mike scott hive there were t-shirts made there were parties thrown mike scott would go to those parties like it was a thing, man. I mean, Philly fan bases, it gets a bad rap in a lot of ways, but a lot of that is older stuff. And then the little stuff that happens everywhere, you know, fans get in fights everywhere now. It happens all the time. The, right. the videos circulate. It's just people latch on to that and go, oh, Philly's never changed. Philly's calmed down a lot, but you just don't see that. You know what I mean? It's not going to be like, hey, average day in Philadelphia, nothing happened. And like, that, that's just not news. So that, that's the cycle that you live with. Like the Santa Claus thing happened in the 60s. I mean, we're talking about a event from like 1965, man. I mean, how can you pin anything on a fan base now from 1965? Like, that's insane. But that's the life of a Philly fan. So, yeah, we get a bad rap, but uh, it, it's a lot better. Once you, once you give it a real look and get into it, which a lot of people don't bother to do, it's a great fan base. It really is. And Stone Cold Steve Austin gets a free pass for stun, stunning Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he certainly does. So we're, we're talking Philly, and I don't mind talking Philly because I want to throw a name out at you. I believe he was drafted by Philly and then was traded out. So I'm going to throw a name out at you, and I want to know from your perspective, what do you think the fans thought about a young man? Because I watched him play his college ball here in Wichita, Wichita State under Greg Marshall by the name of Landry Shaman. Ah, yeah, Landry Shaman was popular, man. And people really liked him. I mean, thinking about the Sixers and, and the problems with that team, like they drafted Markel Fultz and he couldn't shoot. You know, that's why they drafted him, because he could shoot. Three-level scorer, his ability to get to the rim. Like, he, he was a fun, interesting, exciting prospect. He was number one overall. They traded up for him. And he's one of the biggest busts that you've ever seen in the NBA. I mean, the guy literally forgot how to shoot. He was making up an, uh, an injury. He went to 10 different doctors until he finally got a diagnosis that he was looking for. Like, it was a joke, man. And to see a guy like Shamit come up out of the woodwork as a second-round pick, that was huge, huge thing. And people really liked Landry Shamit. The, the thing is that as much as we wanted him to stay and become basically the next J.J. Redick, because J.J. Redick was on the team, he had a really good two-man game with Embiid, another Kansas guy, different Kansas, but, but yeah. Kansas guy all the same. And for them to have that kind of relationship, it was like, okay, can Shamit be the next J.J. Redick? And then, you know, they traded him for Tobias Harris. And they've missed him. You know, they've missed having a guy that can consistently shoot like that coming off the bench. So it's a shame that he's gone. And there's a lot of, you know, hand wringing over the Tobias Harris trade. But but that's how it goes. So, yeah, you see Shamit in Brooklyn when when they come to town and it's it's kind of sad. Right now he's in Phoenix. So he gets to study up under one of the all time great CP3. Uh, so now we're talking Philly again. And. We have to address the elephant in the room because I have my take on this. Ben Simmons. And first thing I want to say is this whole thing is just being totally mishandled. And I think if you want to get traded and you want to have some trade value, work on your game, get out there on the court, play the game, whether you like your teammates or not, show that you've made improvements, and then your trade value goes up. I don't see him doing none of that, and I think he's being 
thoroughly misinformed. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, Ben Simmons is a child, man. Uh, he's just been pampered and spoiled so much that he, he has no sense of reality. It, it's crazy. Like, here's the thing. I remember when he was going into the draft, they had a documentary about him. And he's railing on the college system and how messed up it is. And, and he's right. Like, he was 100% right on all of that. And I'm glad players are getting paid now. But, man, I mean, to have that kind of documentary, I was just like, you know, this is a little weird. Something a little off about this. And over the years, you've kind of seen that play out where, like, this big ego of his and the status of him. And, like, is it wrong that he dated Kylie Jenner? No. You know what I mean? Like, any man in America that's his age is going to say yes to that. She's she's a billionaire. You know, like, of course. But he's more of a status guy. He's more about being seen. He's more about his brand than he is about being a great basketball player. He, he reached a certain level where he's satisfied with what he does because his numbers are there. He's got a star tag on him, and he makes all-star games. So all the things are there. Respect is a defensive player, all-defensive team. Like, those things matter to him, but I think that's all that matters to him. I don't think a championship really matters to him. I mean, the status that comes with it, sure, like extra branding and whatever, but I don't think he's got that actual drive to win for the sake of winning. And that's the problem with Simmons. And, and that's why he's scared to show up. He is scared to take shots. Like he just, he has so many things that are, are holding him back and he's not willing to focus and work on. And, and I think for that very same reason, for what you just said right there is probably the reason teams are not going in for the kill to try to pluck them up. And of course, Daryl Morey, if I'm correct, general manager for the Sixers, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. yep, he's not one to pull a trigger real quick. But I have to somewhat disagree when he says that this is kind of like what Green Bay went through with Aaron Rodgers. Yes, but no. I mean, Aaron Rodgers wants a voice and a say in, you know, personnel. Ben Simmons, he just simply wants that. Yep. There's no doubt about it. He he just doesn't have a willingness to get along. And the things that have come out after the fact, like – there was a comment recently where he basically said um, the, the team wasn't built properly around him. And Embiid was like, yo, this is ridiculous, you know, because Embiid moved to the three-point line. That's a seven-footer. He's moved out to the three-point line, and he shoots well. He shoots 38% from three last year. That's exactly. amazing for a guy his size. So good for him. Uh, Danny Green can shoot threes. Seth Curry can shoot threes. Tobias Harris is a solid three-point shooter. So that whole lineup around him can shoot and for it to come out whether it's him or his camp or whatever it is that has to do with him and that is a belief that they have that is an excuse that they're making for why he's not a great player he's even made excuses to the point of saying the team was too good and because the team was too good the expectations accelerated too much i mean it's just it's all delusional like it's just it's completely delusional absolutely because i heard a comment and what we're going to do after i give this little tidbit here uh, we're going to take a break and come back for the next segment if you have the time to do that. But one of the things I heard Simmons say was that in regards to this team is not built for him, he actually fired a shot at Joel Embiid and said Joel Embiid clogs up the lane and it doesn't give him the freedom to do what he does. And I'm like, well, that's my check. Just like you said, Joel Embiid is shooting threes better than you can shoot free throws. 
So he's not clogging the lanes. So you have an open open lane to the basket. It's like Moses parting the Red Sea. But instead, what do you do? What the last image we saw of him was had an easy layup, kicks it out for a three-point shot. And I don't care too much about analytics, but in my crazy mind, you got a clear shot, you take it. You don't pass it up. But what we're going to do, I'm going to take a brief pause, and we're going to come back for another segment. And I'm going to talk a little NFL football. We're going to talk NFC East, if you don't mind, all right? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right, so it's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And we'll be right back after a word from my sponsor. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo! Cold pizza, Tuesday. Welcome back to my next segment. Still have my guest on the train, Vince Quinn, the Z-Man. You can also hear him on his podcast, Dale and the Birdman. So if you're tired of listening to soap opera radio talk shows, tune in to Bill and the Birdman podcast with Vince Quinn. Well, Vince, we're back. Next segment here, and we talked about a little bit of everything. Philadelphia Phillies, Philadelphia Eagles. The fiasco that is Ben Simmons being compared to Aaron Rodgers, which there is no comparison. And now we're talking the NFL, the NFC East. For the past few years, that conference has been referred to as the NFC Least. Now, I know you're a Philly fan and you're cringing up at me because I'm a Cowboys fan, but I think we're two mature guys. We can put our fandom aside and try to break down what is the NFC East because I think there's some interesting pieces. But I want to start out before we get to our two teams. What has happened to the Washington football team? And programming note, if either one of us slips and say the word Redskins, we're not governed or monitored by the FCC. So. Well, well, that's we, a good we, thing. We get a free but, pass. <laughs> but yeah. so much was made. But, of but that what defense. happened with them, man? Um, they're not that good. Yeah, you know what happened? The off-season hype train got way out of control because people were just like, "Oh, that front seven, man." Let me tell you, that front seven, all those first rounders, it's a great front seven. It's not that good, 
Okay, and and even if it was that good, it, it's not on the level that it's going to win you football games regularly. It's an offensive league. Like you got to score points. You got to be able to get the ball down the field. And even if Ryan Fitzpatrick was healthy, which clearly he's been injured, and you've had Heineke the last few weeks, a team's not built for him. Like. Ryan Fitzpatrick is at his best when he's got a guy that's six six and he can lob the ball up down the field. Like Devontae Parker was a perfect fit when he was in uh, Buffalo. He had a couple of really tall receivers that he was lobbing the ball to. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what he needs. That's what he does well. Mike Evans in Tampa Bay, or even Deshaun Jackson, just because he's so damn fast that you right. can get it so far down the field that it works for Deshaun Jackson too. But like those are the kinds of guys that Ryan Fitzpatrick needs. They don't really have those in Washington. So the offense, very limited. It it doesn't fit the quarterback's needs even when he's healthy. Now you've got a bad backup quarterback in. The front seven's overrated and hasn't played that well. They're just not that good. Oh, and and they've got scandals everywhere. Front office is full of scandals. Now they've got a doctor that's given out prescription pills allegedly to uh, people illegally. So it's just another day in Washington, man. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that I'm I'm looking at that story right now. It's talking about the DEA investigation of, and you have to be careful when you say this, WFP, because if you're not, if you don't catch yourself, you find yourself saying the WTF. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I meant the WFP. <laughs> well, I think it's all the same at this point. Right, but I'm pretty sure that's what their fan base is saying. But the trainer <laughs> that's in question is Ryan Granillion, tied to alleged prescription drug offense so now like you say the football team didn't plan up to the hype then you have an investigation hanging over your head where's the level of concentration at right now for the washington football team which by the way i'm gonna get sick and tired of saying washington football team they need to hurry up and come out with a nickname so if, yeah. you, if you have any suggestions please give them some yeah uh, the losers is a good start Washington losers. That, that's pretty. Good. <laughs> I, I can deal with that one. But uh, so and you mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you know he's the one that has several nicknames outside of his last name, which is Fitzpatrick. There's Fitz Magic, but there's also Fitz Tragic, which means you never know what you're going to get from him. And like you, you was pointing on, he needs the tall receivers. Unfortunately, I think Randy Moss is part of the pregame show, so. <laughs> He's unavailable. <laughs> yeah, but Fitzpatrick might be joining him on the post game soon, so maybe they'll be a great duo there. So, what do they need to do then to tailor the game, basically to tailor Heineke? I believe I'm saying his name right, because it looked like at the point rate that he's going or they're going, he's probably their man unless they are looking to get somebody in the draft. Yeah, they're definitely going to be having to look at the draft. They, they're just not going to have much of a choice. I don't blame them for going with it this year. I mean, they figured, hey, maybe we can go in the division. Let's get Ryan Fitzpatrick and see what happens and, and just have a gap year. But obviously, Fitzpatrick gets hurt. Heineke gave you that great playoff game last year. And now you're getting extended looks at him as much as he looked amazing that week in, in uh, what was it, January. He's not that good. Like, it, it's pretty clear. He's bounced around the league. You, once in a while, you get a Kurt Warner, and a lot of times you get – Taylor Heineke it just it is what it is so for him to get a couple of reps and now they know that's fine now you try to find somebody else in the offseason but for the short term of making the most of it 
I mean, you just mitigate him, right? Like you just go, okay, let's run the ball more. Curtis Samuel, they brought in from uh, Carolina. He's gotten carries before. They did a lot of fun stuff with him there. Like do that kind of stuff. If you've got that going, short and intermediate game, and you're taking the occasional deep shot, if Heineke's hot, then you can ride and, and get a little more aggressive with things. But generally, I mean, you just got to play like he's not a good quarterback and you got to get by with him rather than win with him, you know? Absolutely. Here, and here's the other elephant in the room with them, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. But Ron Rivera, the coach of the Washington football team, they are desperate for some type of quarterback presence. However, you don't hear the name Cam Newton coming up. As a matter of fact, you haven't heard Cam Newton's name coming up anywhere lately. So why particularly is Cam Newton's name not coming up in Washington as bad as they need some quarterback help and the relationship or maybe a deteriorating relationship with Ron Rivera. Yeah, I, I thought Cam would go there. And it might be one of those things now where for Washington, they just go, you know what? You're better off just giving Heineke as many looks as you possibly can, really knowing for sure if he's going to be a guy or not. And if you lose games, you're getting a better draft pick, you know, like bringing in Cam could help them, but odds are they're not going to win the division. So I think part of it is folding in the towel. Part of it is, yeah, Ron Rivera did come out as soon as Fitzpatrick went down, was like, yeah, no, when it came to Cam. So mm-hmm. part of it seems to be either his offensive philosophy or, or his coordinator's offensive philosophy. Maybe it is his relationship with Cam. Like, I, I just don't know. But I was surprised they didn't go after him. Now it makes sense. But in the moment, it just it felt obvious. Absolutely. The next team in that division, New York Giants. And, of course, we know who they play this Sunday. and. There are some people saying that Dallas should be concerned and that Daniel Jones is actually progressing rather than regressing. And Saquon Barkley pretty much had a breakout game last week. But will it be enough to overcome the Dallas Cowboys, even in the wake of them parting ways with Jalen Smith? Well, no. For the Giants, no. I mean, I'm so out on that team. Daniel Jones, I, don't, I know they had a good week last week, but are they good? You know what I mean? Like, are they a good team? Are they actually a quality, talented roster? I like Saquon Barkley. I like Kenny Galladay. I like Sterling Shepard. They have some good players, but it's not an elite group. Their offensive line is a lot of problems. Daniel Jones generally stinks. Like, he'll give you a decent game here and there, and he's got athleticism. He can move, but he strikes me as a great backup quarterback. Like, that's really what he is to me. He, he, he can be frisky and give you a game here and there, but he's not an elite player by any stretch of the imagination. He's, got, uh, he's, he's been better this year so far, but he's generally had a massive turnover problem, a fumbling problem. So I don't trust the Giants at all. Uh, Jason Garrett is their offensive coordinator. You know what I mean? Like, I just – I don't trust them catching anybody. I can easily see them as the worst team in the division, and, and they might finish with, like, four or five wins. Like, I just really don't think they're any good. And you, you mentioned Jason Garrett, the redheaded wonder. Gets to go up against his old team, the Cowboys. So let me ask you about coordinators. If you had to pick your Christmas coordinator, which one would you take? Jason Garrett or, uh-oh, now I done drew a blank, uh, Kellen Moore. Oh, Kellen Moore, and it's not close. Yeah, I, I love Kellen Moore. I mean, seeing what he's doing with Dallas, and, and for you, you must be feeling great. 
I'm miserable. Okay, I, I hate how good Kellen Moore is because the, the screen game and how they've worked that in this year in a big way. Just the vertical attack has been so much better. He's going to be a head coach next year. Like I, I would just say, if, if I was a Dallas fan, man, I'd be bracing for Kellen Moore getting a head coaching job somewhere. And if I was, if I was really a Dallas fan. I'd be pushing for him to get the job over Mike McCarthy. I would push McCarthy out. I'd give Kellen Moore the full job, and you figure it out from there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it straight from the source. Get McCarthy out and put Kellen Moore in. Only thing that scared me about Kellen Moore, though, was the fact that it seemed like he was trying to keep up with the mode of the NFL and get Dak to pass the five and 600 yards a game, when in essence, this team is built more for balance. And we've seen that balance on display last week against the Carolina Panthers when you wrestling for over 200 yards, passing about $2.50. When you have that kind of balance, it creates a nightmare for the defensive coordinator for the opposing team. So, Jet, the Giants, I almost said Jets. Well, they about one and the same anyway. <laughs> yeah, they are. The Giants have, will have a handful this week, which now leads me to Philadelphia. And I think Philly possibly has some good pieces. I mean, you start with uh, Jalen Hurts, but now you have to game plan according to his skill set, and then you have to put the pieces around him. Otherwise, you're setting the quarterback up for failure. So what do you see going on in Philadelphia? I'm going to call you the Philly insider now. <laughs> well, yeah, that works for me. So I see a lot of mistakes right now. There's a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. And, and the frustrating thing is it's all new. You know, Jalen Hurts, uh, he got drafted last year. He's only started a couple of games. He's new. He, he just is. Second-round pick, you know. So that's a tough spot for him anyway. But then you got a rookie head coach. you got a, a first-time defensive coordinator. There's special teams coordinators, like 29. Yeah, it's crazy how young the staff is all over the place. So when you've got youth everywhere, wide receivers are young, quarterback is young, you're going to have problems. So they've had some games. I mean, this is crazy, man. They had a game where there was no plays called with motion, which doesn't seem possible. Like, I honestly did not think that was possible in the modern NFL. And they did it. They, they didn't have a single use of motion a whole game. Like, that's crazy. So th that was atrocious. And then sure enough, the next week, they come out and they're running motion all over the place and faking jet sweeps and all that kind of stuff that you should do. So – They've had some games where things look good. First week, they beat the snot out of Atlanta. You go, all right, this is good. They put up 30 points. You feel good about everything. But, man, uh, the couple of weeks in between, especially that Dallas game, yeah, they, they got crushed. I mean, the offense looked terrible. They got crushed, and, and it was a really disappointing thing. But they looked really good last week. I mean, they put up 30. So they, got, they lost to Kansas City. That's going to happen. But they put up 30 points along the way. I can feel good enough about that. So there's good and bad. I think there's more good than bad, but it's complicated. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at the stats right now, and at the top of the stats is Matt Stafford. The tenth on the stats is Jalen Hurts with 96 completions out of 145 attempts, and his completion percentage is not that bad, 66.2% with 1,000. 167 yards passing thus far. So, thus far, his stats aren't too shabby. It's just a matter of putting all the other pieces in the right place. Uh, what is the biggest weakness on Philly, either offense or defense? Well, uh, the linebackers are just garbage. They're terrible, man. They're, they're about as bad as it gets. And for Dallas, when they released Jalen Smith 
everyone in Philly was like, "Ooh, Jalen Smith, we got to go get Jalen Smith. I can't believe they didn't get Jalen Smith. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the kind of fuss that they're in right now because they just don't have anybody. They've never invested in the position. And I've been cool with that generally. I mean, you don't need linebackers to be drafted in the first round. But when they're so bad at it time and time again, they can't develop anybody. It's just like, guys, all right, maybe it is time. So uh, linebacker is terrible. It's getting abused. And any team that's playing the Eagles, you got to attack the linebackers. Absolutely. Now that you see the team that's atop the division, and try not to show the painful expression on your face, all right? <laughs> <laughs> now we move to the Dallas Cowboys. And I guess I would be the Dallas insider, even though I'm in the state of Kansas, but I know you watch enough football. You know what's going on within that division. The team I see now is a team that, once they are ahead, they can almost pretty much put it on cruise control. And I've often said this before the season even started. Offense is going to be fine. If the defense is just half as better as they were last year, this team would be somebody to reckon with. Well, now you look at Trayvon Diggs. Interception in each game. I think he had two in the last game. I mean, I had a guy on my show, and he said that. Uh, he hasn't seen anyone break on the ball like that since primetime Deion Sanders, which that's a pretty high compliment right there. Then you look at Demarcus Lawrence going down with an injury. However, what you do, you move Michael Parsons from linebacker to defensive end. Then you had Jalen Smith before his demise. He was at the linebacker position. But now you have a guy named Jabril Cox there playing him all of a sudden. And to me, he's a hybrid. I mean, this looks like a Jimmy Johnson model style defense. Speed, 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 and more speed. And it's working. It's working for Dallas so far. And you're right, man. I mean, if Dallas is, because this is the formula for everything, right? Like, people like to say defense wins championships. I don't believe that at all. You just got to be elite at something. You know, just be elite. If you're a top five offense, you have a great chance to win the Super Bowl, and those teams do win the Super Bowl. Happens all the time. If you're a top five defense, you got a good chance to win the Super Bowl. It happens all the time. But again, it's it's just about being elite. If you got a top offense, which you do right now with the Cowboys, and Dak stays healthy and he keeps playing like this, which everything tells me he's going to, it's just he's just a great quarterback at this point. There's no question. Um, as long as that defense is solid, you're set. That's all it takes. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm thrilled about what I'm seeing with the defense thus far. I mean, because now teams are already saying, find out where Trayvon Diggs is at and throw it to the opposite side of the field. Well, that can at times bite you in the rear end because the way I see this team, if they decide to play ball like that against Dallas, then Dallas can basically do it like this. Okay, y'all want to play that way? We'll only rush three, but now we're going to drop eight back into coverage. Now what you going to do? So you want to play this chess game? Let's play it. <laughs> but I guarantee you, the speed that they have on that defense is like someone asked Michael Parsons, what position do you play? Do you, are you a linebacker or are you a defensive lineman? He said, I'm just a football player. And, and that's the best way you can put it. So the other pieces they have, they're just football players, and right now they're balling out. Hopefully they can sustain it. So your prediction, I want a good prediction from you. <laughs> AFC, who comes out of the AFC? represent in the Super Bowl? Uh, right now, I'd say Buffalo. You know, it's it's just one of those things where Buffalo has an offense and a defense. And for them to fi- – they lost week one and they, they got crushed and everybody was like, oh, my God, what's happening in Buffalo? But they figured every everything out since then. And 
the, the coaching staff there is great. Like, they're just such a well-built, well-managed team. And uh, they play Kansas City this week, right? Aren't they playing the Chiefs this, this week? This week, yes. Yeah, so, like, that game, it, it really could be the AFC Championship game right there. So, looking at some of these teams, because, like, Baltimore's a good team. I don't think they're on that level. The Titans have flirted with that level. I don't think they're on that level. Like, it really comes down to Kansas City, Cleveland, and Buffalo for me. Those, those are the three teams I really believe in the most right now. And, and you see how injuries take their toll. But, yeah, man, I, I like – right now, I would say Buffalo. Okay. So, now, who comes out of the NFC? Because, to me, I think it's pretty wide open. But who it is. is? Who uh, it's definitely wide open, but uh, I'm going to make myself puke and say it's the Buccaneers. It just has to be. I mean, they, they brought everybody back. They brought everybody back, you know. So, when you have all that talent coming back, Brady still looks sharp. It's just crazy how good they are. I mean, if you're missing Mike Evans for five weeks and you're still starting Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown, you're ridiculously good. Like, they're just so stacked. Everybody's there. Even uh, for the brief glimpse that we saw of Gio Bernard, who's just been like a guy in Cincinnati for a long time, he looked pretty good. Like, he's their third or fourth running back, you know? It's, it's just crazy. The depth there, everybody wants to be there. They just added Richard Sherman. So whatever he's got left yeah, is a depth corner. Like, my God, man. So, yeah, uh, Tampa stacked. It's really not fair. Now they've got continuity to go with everything they had last year, which was figuring things out and not having the number one seed. So if they get the number one seed, they're rolling through everybody this year, game over. They're, they're not just winning the NFC. They're winning the title. So who's the team most likely in the NFC to dethrone the Buccaneers or derail them from getting back to the Super Bowl? That's a hard Yeah, one. I mean, I, I want to say San Francisco, but they're just not on that level right now. So I, I can't buy it. Unless Trey Lance shows up and, and he becomes a real revelation for them. And he had, he had some good moments last week with Garoppolo Hurt, maybe. Like, maybe it could be San Francisco. Right now, I don't quite believe that. Obviously, the Rams are, are just a big-time, top-of-the-line contender. So they've got a great shot. Green Bay's always got a shot as long as Rodgers is playing. So uh, there's there's like and, – and, you know, I hate to say it, but, yeah, Dallas is in the conversation right now. They have to be. So I think in the, in the AFC you're looking at like three teams, and in the NFC you're looking at around five. All right, then. You heard it there from Dan Quinn, my guest on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Well, Dan, I want to say I thank you for joining me. And you know what? Some people say it like this. This is the first, the only two times you'll be on my show, the first and last. But I can't say that about you because uh, you have an open invitation. Basically, what that oh. means is whenever you feel like you want to come on, you set the schedule. And if that schedule works, you got that time slot. All right. That sounds good to me. And I want to say that I am very humbled to have you on my podcast. I appreciate it. and. And people, I'm going to tell y'all like this. this. This man, he gives me little tips he, without even knowing he's giving me tips. Because when I'm listening to his podcast, I feel like I'm in school. So once again, <laughs> tell people how they can reach you, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be your podcast. Go ahead, put a plug in for your podcast and your Twitter handle and all that good stuff. Well, yeah. So uh, let me do this. So I run a studio now. So I run a podcast studio, and that's why I left CBS Sports Radio. So it's called Last Out Media. And all we do is we work with podcasts. So we get into uh, independent creators and we just help them build their stuff. If you want to get your show on more platforms, I can do that for you. You want to live stream your stuff. So not just that your show is everywhere. It's on Apple, it's on Spotify, it's on Google and everywhere else, but it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, it's live on Twitter. 
we can do all of that. So we got a lot of things that we can do for podcasts. I've literally got a meeting after this call. Uh, I've got a meeting with a guy where he's starting a Patreon. And so I'm going to tell him how to get that started. We're going to brainstorm some ideas and I'm going to help him get that rolling. So all we do is help podcasters. That's it. That's what we're all about. So we're making shows. We're helping people build their own shows. And that's what we do. So uh, lastoutmedia.com is the easiest way to find that. And you can DM us there, Twitter, Instagram, either way. And you can find me on Twitter at It's Vince Quinn. So you can find me there and you can DM me as well if you got any questions. I'm happy to help anybody out that needs it. All right. Well, Vince, once again, I want to say thank you for joining the show. And we will definitely have to do this one more time. Ladies and gentlemen, Vince Quinn on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. I'll be back after this message. Thank you. Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Appreciate him, my new friend and brother. So nice to have him on. He has a lot of sports knowledge, and he is in a position to help people like little old me get their podcast off the ground and into other places and other areas and other markets. Such a down-to-earth person. Like I said, I met him basically when he was on his radio show, and it was his last official show. And we got connected because we were both board ops at radio stations. And there's been a connection with us ever since. So when I told him that he has an open invitation, if he wants, if he has something he wants to talk about, he is welcome at any time to come along and talk. Like I said, he has open door. Uh, there are some other things I also want to look at because we talked about it briefly with our take on the NFC East and the thing we were asking is what's going on with that Washington football team? Well, sources say BEA investigation of the Washington football team, trainer Ryan Vermillion tied to alleged prescription drug offenses. So that story goes the Drug Enforcement Agency's investigation into Washington football team trainer Ryan Vermillion centers 
on the distribution of prescription drugs, a source confirmed to ESPN. As a trainer and not a physician or nurse practitioner, Vermillion would not be allowed to give out prescription drugs according to federal law, nor can a physician distribute them where they are unauthorized to practice. Washington's WRC-TV first reported this development. The DEA raided Vermillion's office at the Washington facility as well as his home last Friday afternoon. Washington coach Ron Rivera said he was not at the facility at the time, but multiple players were still around. Vermillion was placed on administrative leave by the organization on Monday. Vermillion worked with Rivera for nine seasons in Carolina and joined him in Washington in January of 2020. Washington's chief medical officer is Anthony Carcelaro and Chris Annunziata is the head physician. Bubba Tyre, who was the team's trainer in the 1970s through 2009, has come out of retirement to provide help. In 2014, the DEA randomly checked several NFL medical staffs at airports following the game. Tampa Bay, San Francisco, and Seattle as part of an investigation surrounding drug distribution without, without prescription. The Transportation Security Administration also was part of the search. According to an Associated Press report at the time, agents requested documentation from the visiting team's medical staff for controlled substance they possessed. They also wanted proof that doctors could practice medicine in the home team's state. That search stemmed from a lawsuit earlier that spring on behalf of ex-NFL players. The number of plaintiffs at that time, according to the AP, was more than 1,200. The NFL PA issued a statement on Wednesday that it had sent a formal request, formal request to the NFL for information regarding the substance of investigation, calling it a health and safety issue. Washington issued a statement saying the investigation was not related to the team. In other NFL news, New York Jets. And why in the world am I talking about the New York Jets? Well, be that as it may, New York Jets defensive end John Franklin Myers reached four-year, $55 million extension, sources say. Defensive end John Franklin Myers, one of the New York Jets' promising young players on defense, has agreed to a contract extension. It was announced Friday. Terms were not disclosed, but a source confirmed to ESPN it is a four-year extension worth $55 million, including $30 million guaranteed. 25-year-old Franklin Myers was in the final year of his of his rookie contract, making 920,000 in 2021. The extension puts him under contract through 2025. He's done nothing but work, work, work. Coach Robert Salas told reporters in London ahead of Sunday's game against the Atlanta Falcons. He's been a tremendous leader, and then you see his play on the field. He's absolutely dominant at times. He hasn't even scratched the surface of where we think he can go in this system. Those are the guys you want to pay. Franklin Myers claimed on waivers from the Los Angeles Rams in 2019, won a starting job in training camp. In four games, he has three sacks, tying a career high, along with five quarterback hits and one forced fumble. The Jets like Franklin Myers because of his versatility. He can play inside or outside on the defensive line. I would anticipate him having a really good year for us, a career year for himself. 
defensive coordinator Jeff Albrecht said recently. Franklin Myers was a fourth-round pick of the Rams in 2018. As a rookie, he played in the Super Bowl and recorded a strip sack of Tom Brady in the Rams' loss to New England Patriots. Surprisingly, Franklin Myers was waived the following preseason. The Jets claimed him, but he wound up on injured reserve. In 2020, he emerged as a key part of the defensive line rotation, recording three sacks. General manager Joe Douglas is a believer in building a team through the defensive and offensive line. He signed free agent Carl Lawson to a three-year, $45 million contract, but he suffered a season-ending Achilles injury in training camp. He also signed Sheldon Rankins for two years, $11 million. The next big contract will be Quinnen Williams, the third overall pick in 2019, but he's not eligible for a new deal until after the season. The New York Daily News first reported on Franklin Myers' four-year extension. Sticking with the NFL news, Atlanta Falcons. Calvin Ridley won't travel to London for NFL game versus New York Jets due to personal matters. Atlanta Falcons receiver Calvin Ridley will not travel to London for Sunday's game against the New York Jets because of an undisclosed personal matter, the team announced Thursday afternoon in a statement. We are in support of Calvin during this time and will respect his privacy on the matter, Coach Arthur Smith said. Ridley is one of three Falcons not traveling to England, along with receiver Russell Gage, ankle injury, and defensive lineman Marlon Davidson, ankle. Ridley, 26, has 27 catches for 255 yards and a touchdown this season and is coming off a seven-catch, 80-yard game against Washington on Sunday. Despite the season high in yards, Ridley had two drops Sunday in the 34-30 loss to Washington. Only the second time in his career he's dropped two passes in the game. Up and down. We expect more, and Calvin knows that, Smith said, Monday of Ridley's performance against Washington. I'm not telling anything that I don't tell the players. He's one of our top guys. He's one of our captains. Nobody got higher expectations than he does for himself than we do so that's why I called his number. I believe in Calvin, but like all of us, we can all play better. With Ridley out of the lineup, engaged still working his way back from an ankle injury suffered in week two against Tampa Bay, Atlanta's top receivers against the Jets on Sunday would be Olamide Zacchaeus and Tajay Sharp. Zacchaeus has filled in at wide receiver engages absent and has six catches for 69 yards and a touchdown this season. In his career, he's played 25 games with three starts. Sharp, who signed with Atlanta in the offseason, has four catches for 29 yards this year. He last started a game in 2019 when he was with Tennessee. The Falcons could also look to use other options in Ridley's absence. Cordell Patterson has been a mix of running has been a mix of running back and receiver for the Falcons this season. And tight ends Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurts both have high-level pass-catching skills. All three, like Ridley, were first-round picks when they were drafted. Pitts said Thursday he doesn't think his role will change if Ridley was unable to play Sunday. I don't think that would change anything, Pitts said. I'm still going to be the tight end, and I am, and I am, and I am, 
and contribute in any way. The Falcons also have receivers Christian Blake and rookie Frank Darby on their roster. Juan Green, whom the team temporarily elevated from the practice squad in week three against the Giants, could end up elevated again despite not playing against New York. Austin Trammell and Keelan Doss, who has 11 career catches for 133 yards, are also on the practice squad. Well, it's the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, and what I'm going to do here is I am going to take another break, and when I come back, I will have some more for you. So stay tuned. It's the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. The train is still building up ahead of things. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo! Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, yep, it's me, Anthony Smith. Got another segment to go here. Or maybe just weekend. Just having a little bit of fun. I can't say this enough. Thanks to my man, man, for joining me on the show. This has definitely made my day. Had a lot to talk about. But we're going to now get into a little bit of Major League Baseball. As Major League Baseball has got some awards to pass out, so to speak. So we want to dive into it. Well, they haven't passed out the awards, but the Hank Aaron Award finalist for Best Offensive Player also includes Shohei Otani and Bryce Harper. We're just going to give you the rundown of some of these finalists and also look at some more news as it relates to Major League Baseball. The finalists for the Hank Aaron Award First, since the legend's death, includes Shohei Otani, 
Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, and Fernando Tatis Jr. Winners of the award, which was established in 1999 by Major League Baseball to honor the best offensive player in each league, will be announced in November. Otani, favorite for American League MVP, is the first player who also pitches ever nominated. In addition to Otani and Guerrero, New York's Aaron Judge, Baltimore's Cedric Mullins, Oakland's Matt Olson, Kansas City's Salvador Perez, and Cleveland's Joe Ramirez are the American League nominees. Joining Harper, Soto, and Tatis in the National League are Cincinnati's Nick Castellanos, San Francisco's Brandon Crawford, Atlanta's Freddie Freeman, and St. Louis's Paul Goldschmidt. In a phone interview, Aaron, who was married to in a phone interview, Billy Aaron, who was married to Hank Aaron for 48 years, said her husband was always very excited about the award itself and, of course, very excited about the World Series because during that time, before every four game, he had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know and shake hands with the winners. Voting panel includes eight Hall of Famers, eight Hall of Fame players, including new voters, Chipper Jones, Pedro Martinez, and John Smoltz, as well as a fan vote. Aaron, Major League Baseball's longtime home run king and one of the most beloved and respected players in the game's history, died in his sleep in January. I'm still in a state of grief beyond measure, Billy Aaron said. I'm doing okay. I have some difficulty. I have some difficulty many days. But like everybody else, when you come to this stage in your life, you have to learn to cope with it. You can't change it. You can't do anything about God's will. So you learn to accept it and learn to go on. I miss him so very, very much. I loved him so very, very much. Aaron, she said, would have been particularly excited for the National League Division Series that starts Friday between two MLB, two MLB teams for whom he played, the Braves and Milwaukee Brewers. Aaron played his first 12 years for the Milwaukee Brewers before they moved to Atlanta, where he spent nine seasons. A two-year stint with the Brewers wrapped up his career. He loved Milwaukee. He loved the Milwaukee Braves. He loved the Milwaukee Brewers, Billy Aaron said. And he loved, of course, the Atlanta Braves. He probably would have had some difficulty not rooting for both teams. The team that is your bread and butter, you probably would fall into that category. And being on the staff as well, so he probably would have to pull for Atlanta. But I know he had a strong fondness for the Milwaukee team. MLB intended to honor Aaron in Atlanta at, Ju at July's All-Star Game. Blowback from Georgia's new voting rights laws, however, prompted MLB to shift the game to Denver's Coors Field, where Freeman and Judge escorted Billy Aaron onto the field for the ceremony that celebrated her husband. While MLB weathered criticism for the choice, Billy Aaron said it was the right thing for Major League Baseball to do. In light of the political situation going on then and continuing to go on now, she said, the decision to move the All-Star game out of the city of Atlanta, in spite of the impact that it would have had on Atlanta and on the businesses that were preparing for the great game, I still think Major League Baseball did exactly what it needed to do in recognizing that racism 
can't overrule things. Milwaukee Brewers left-hander Brent Suter <clears throat> to miss National League Division Series with oblique strain. Brewers left-hander Brent Suter will miss the National League Division Series with a right oblique strain, another setback for a bullpen already missing setup man, Devin Williams. Milwaukee's bullpen depth has been a concern since Williams punched a wall and broke his throwing hand the night the Brewers clinched the National League Central title. Williams went 8-2 with a 2.50 ERA and 87 strikeouts in 54 innings. Suter was 12-5 with a 3.07 ERA in 73 and a third innings and pitched twice during a weekend series at Los Angeles that closed the regular season. Atlanta also released its NLDS roster ahead of Friday's series opener, and the Braves' bullpen won't have Chris Martin or Richard Rodriguez. Martin had been dealing with an elbow injury but was activated from the injured list in mid-September. Rodriguez, acquired from, Pis- from Pittsburgh at the trade deadline, has allowed seven runs over 12 innings since September the 1st. The Braves' 12-man roster staff for this best-of-five series includes five pitchers who primarily worked as starters. Charlie Morton, Max Freed, Ian Anderson, Huskar Yona, and Drew Smiley. Morton is starting game one, and Freed will start game two. Atlanta activated rookie left-handed reliever Dylan Lee, who also pitched in two major league games. Braves also added Terrace Gore to their roster. The speedy outfielder has never played for Atlanta, appearing in 102 regular season games in seven seasons, most recently for the Dodgers in 2020. Gore filled a key pinch-running role for the Kansas City Royals during their runs to the American League pennant in 2014 and the World Series title in 2015. Brewers first baseman Randy Tellis, who was activated from the injured list Saturday after missing a few weeks with the knee injury, is on the team's roster. So there you have a little bit of MLB news. And that will bring this train back into the station. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have enjoyed it. Once again, I enjoyed my guest, Vince Quinn. Yes, he deserves those applause for being on the show today. And we will do it again. Like I said, he has an open invitation, so he can pretty much come on whenever he would like to. 